Right, hello and welcome to uh, the Panashcast. This is Panash Software's weekly podcast going through the latest in legal technology. Uh, and I'm your host, Peter Davis, and joining me as always is my co-host, Neil Pemberton. Hi there. Hi, um, this is episode 10 of the Panashcast. Um, I was going to say, it's 10 episodes now, it's... Was that more episodes than viewers at the moment? I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It could <laughs> well be. If that's true, that's very disappointing. It's very it? disappointing, isn't it? But uh, Where are the groupies? I know, I don't, I don't know. Well, we'll just keep talking to ourselves for a while. It's, it's We'll either be taken away in straitjackets for being mad, or uh, or maybe we will get some groupies. Along Who knows? Point. Or, or, or some kind of viewers and stuff. Yeah, yeah no, that would be useful. I'm sure there's a couple of people out there who enjoy it, but uh, we'll, we'll see. But... Yeah. Um, well, let's see how this goes. We've got uh, a couple of items today we're going to talk about. So um, we're going to talk about blockchain uh, and whether it can underpin the future of the property market. Uh, that's an article by uh, the Land Registry. Um, seven signs that your law firm's technology is outdated. Uh, and the Financial Times top 10 legal tech companies with the greatest impact on the practice and business of law. Hmm. Um, so before we get into yeah. that, though... Um, yeah, let's just run through. I mean, we, we who would have thought 10 shows in this is where we'd be. But just to recap briefly, you know, we've covered a lot of stuff about tech news. And we've covered a lot of events in what we've been um, discussing before. We've had some guests on the show and we've got some guests lined up for future shows. So um, keep an eye out for those. Um, and we've even managed to get a live coding session done for you all for last week. So hopefully you've all learned something from that. I know I did. Um, my coding skills are pretty limited, but um, luckily there was very little coding required Indeed. in the uh, in that session. So that was yeah, good. so you can get your own chatbot up and running now with one line of code. I think that was the headline basically for us: is that it's quite straightforward and easy for you to get started on some of these things without uh, without a lot of tech knowledge. So um, hopefully you all managed to catch that in last week's show. That's episode number nine. We've had some reader mail about social media and uh, and technology for conveyancing solutions. But what we really want to hear is more questions from you, more feedback, comments, whether you agree or disagree with what we're saying. We just want to hear from you as much as possible. Make it your show as well as ours. Yep. Um, whether you've got any technology that you use, uh, success stories or failures, or whether you use no technology, you know, anything goes. Um, and if you're unsure whether you can really comment and you're at a, a firm where you're not sure whether you're allowed to comment, then post anonymously. We'll keep your name secret if we have to. Yeah, I mean, we're not looking for massively hard-hitting, <laughs> no. no, risque stories or anything like that. But, no. we, you know, it's just an interest for, for us and for others watching and listening and um, just to hear about others experience in legal tech you know what are other people using what how are they finding it mm. um that kind of thing that's you know exactly we want to get in touch and and keep the conversation going with lots of people to indeed to see how, what people are using out there yeah so the best way to get in touch with us is through the patreon page um patreon is p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com forward slash panache software we have up there all of the shows and episodes um as we say we've, we'll be adding more and more to that as time goes on some additional bonus things on there and um, that's really a page that we've created so that we hope we can get some following and some support from you out there um, if you're feeling particularly generous and uh, your children haven't behaved themselves this week and don't deserve their pocket money then by all means subscribe for a month we're happy to take that pocket we'll take money <laughs> we have no shame absolutely um but what we'll do if you uh, subscribe and become a follower um on that and, and take an associate level we'll send you some some branded stash and uh, we've got a couple of t-shirts to go out to some people i'll send them out over the next week or so but um yeah follow us on patreon.com forward slash panache software cool yeah. well should we should we get going then yep. with the with the first so um yeah so the first item is um 
uh, by Lauren Lauren Toombs at the uh, Land Registry, and I think it's something that we we might have covered in a previous episode as well. But um, uh, the the Land Registry are doing their big push for their digital street initiative, yep. so they've got another blog post out uh, in the last week or so, uh, which is could blockchain be the future of the property market? Um, I don't know if you want to take through yeah some of that. So just a few of the points that they they, they raise in there. That this is obviously a drive for them to become, in their own words, the world's leading registry land registry for speed, simplicity, and an open re- an open approach to data. Um, I dare say that simplicity and blockchain don't really go hand in hand. Albeit that if you get it working right, then it then it would be simple yeah. for people to use. Hopefully it can simplify the process. The technology behind might not be simple, but uh, (laughs) to the end users, hopefully. Um, So what they're doing is looking at how they can help people buy and sell property faster and simpler and cheaper and so on, because property transactions are, they can be really dogged and drawn out for various reasons. And I just want to touch on a couple of them. So to quote from them, they say on the 6th of March 2019, a sale of a recently refurbished semi-detached house in Gillingham completed, taking 22 weeks, which was much longer than the six weeks the buyer and seller had expected. They then, I think, they'd obviously never sold a house before. <laughs> never sold a house, and we mentioned offline briefly between ourselves. Six weeks is an optimistic timescale. It's not to say that it can't be done, uh, but you know, whenever there's a bank involved, there's a delay. Um, banks don't take views on things the way, same way that buyers and sellers will. If you're fall in love with a house, then you'll put up with its quirks, right? But mm. banks mightn't do that. Um, but you know, a, a simple conveyancing transaction when you put your searches in, it's two or three weeks before those results come back. Um, and those search results have actually got to be looked at. They, if the conveyancer is doing the job properly, they've got to look at it, and they're almost certainly going to have some questions about it. So then the inquiries are going to be raised and answered. So you're four or five weeks in before you're really in a position to make your minds up whether you can proceed with the transaction. So six weeks is optimistic in my view, but I suspect that 22 weeks is more most people's reality. And I, and I guess what you're saying is that you, you feel that, you know, for a lot of these things, the actual transactional bits of that... Mm can be streamlined by technology and, and, and other parts of it probably can do as well yeah. but unless the whole chain is yep. sp- speeded up you know if you're still having to um get in touch with local authorities and they're taking time to re- return searches and things like yeah. that that's going to overall slow the whole process down so until until the whole group acts together that's exactly right space, then you're still going to hit these, these yeah these delays there's there's a divide isn't there so you have the execution part of the transaction which would be your contract your transfer the the signing the transferring of money the registration of the the whole thing and then there's the investigative due diligence aspect um which can take longer i suspect that probably is the bit that is maybe being focused on less um but actually will take the longest and um, we can come on to how that might look in, in, a little bit, in a bit more detail later. But I, the land registry are obviously much more focused, at least for now, on the execution part, because you know you can with a, with a contract automation or a smart contract, you can mm. you can make that that execution part faster through their um, what's it called the Geo Six. They're in touch with Ordnance Survey, and they're collectively starting to work together with Coal Authority and others. Yeah to to share data and so i think you even mentioned in their blog in their in their post about working with hmrc which would presumably be for the stamp duty land tax return and filing that you have to do yeah. after you've purchased a property and before you can register it at revenue and custom uh, excuse me at the land registry so that process is starting to take effect now yeah. and it, that looks quite good but yeah the the actual 
due diligence side of things could take a bit longer. Now, we know of, of some companies out there, and Orbital Witness is one, where they're, they're putting together um, a, 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 a platform that allows you to just look at a property and hopefully that, that pulls in all the relevant information for you from the land registry, from the local authorities, maybe from the environment agency, water and drainage companies, so that you can just look at a property and it gives you everything up front. Now, yeah. that's a little bit more now. It started to look like a, a you know, stock market purchase of a share. You know, you can, you can look yeah. at the accounts, you can make the information, you can execute the transaction instantly if you want to. And that seems to now be catching property up a bit with that, which is, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, and and I think there's there's you know there's areas to to look at in there for for organisations in that you know if you're beginning to bring all that data together into one place and mm. into these platforms, um, you have the opportunity that that data doesn't then go stale either. Yeah. So yeah. and we've talked about before, you know, if you if you buy a house, you have all these searches run on it. Um, if you then sell that house a couple of years later, the person buying it has all those same searches running again. Yeah. And things are unlikely to have changed in that, that yeah. time. So by having these platforms that are bringing all that data together, um, you know, they have the opportunity to be able to guarantee that data yeah. for a certain amount of time. And yeah. in fact, adjust as changes come in, um, thereby eliminating that, pro- that need to go through the same process every time yeah um i mean it's a big time waster not only is it you know it's wasting time and that's probably why the transactions are taking 22 weeks rather than six it's also wasting people's money you know i mean if you if you look at any house um i'm talking about routine houses here on housing estates how likely is it that the water and drainage system has changed since it's been built it's extremely unlikely how likely is it that the you know that it's not connected to the mains water or mains drainage extremely unlikely especially if it's a not, new build or something like yeah. that then <laughs> and and in a way you you think wouldn't you that, that that you would get a copy and and have a warrant um a warranty or or a guarantee from the developer that everything is hunky dory with those sorts of things but yeah. it doesn't seem to work that way um so it's not just a question of saving time it's it's saving people's money as well and i, and I, I like the idea of a platform like that orbital witness that will pull all that information into one place and 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 speed things up yeah definitely yeah um and just to conclude on on the um the land registries article they you know they they're two years into their digital digital street program now um they're looking for people to get involved for year three and onwards um i suspect they'll be inviting people with good ideas and how they can improve things further to um to get in touch so We'll put the link to the article in the in the notes afterwards. Yeah, and there's a little sign up form that you can mm. um, sign up to 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 try and get involved with that project and input. And yeah. I'm sure the more the more people and the more organisations that are doing that, you yeah, you can eliminate some of these barriers. Then the more joined up the process is between all of these organisations, yeah, the quicker these things can get moved through. Exactly. If, if they sign up, they might even get a chance to meet us if we sign up and get a grip and get onto it. You know, well, if that's not reason enough for people to <laughs> sign up, I don't, know, I don't know what is. There's no hope, is there? It's otherwise, the so. beginning of the group. Now, yeah. <laughs> so, so should we move on to article two then yeah it's good um this is something that we found in the financial times uh, the title is legal tech uses ai to help business help its to help itself uh, the author was cat rutter pooley and again we'll put a, a note in the um in the show notes after the after the recording um there's a couple of aspects to this which we wanted to talk to you about the latter aspect is a list of firms a list of companies that are providing tech solutions we'll come on to that in a minute but the article to begin with is focused on the uk uh, serious fraud office and a project that they had on their plate which was to look into was it rolls royce yeah 
Yeah. Who, um, now, the interesting thing about this, I'll just mention a couple of figures. They talked about reviewing 30 million documents that had to be reviewed. I'm not sure I can even fathom what 30 million documents looks like. Um, yeah, and I don't know. How long it would take to do I that mean, manually. I don't know if this is um, a case when you have that number of documents. I mean, maybe it also includes things like emails and mm. stuff like that. If it's trawling through emails, there could be millions couldn't there? could so, be um, you do get thousands and thousands of emails on big files don't you so yeah. wouldn't be surprised especially if it's something that's going on for several years but yeah obviously reviewing of 30 million documents whether they were one-line documents or or contracts is, is it's a non-starter for a bunch of human beings i suspect in terms of the cost of a person doing it and uh, well frankly the time you just never get it done would you so i mean i know there's almost a you know a bottomless pit of interns and stuff you could probably get in to, to, to look at these things, but I'm sure that doesn't work for everyone. To, no, I'm sure there'd be plenty of keen people who would be very happy to not have any sleep during the nights and whatnot, but just trawling be, being human, they'd miss stuff, of course. Um, so anyway, the solution for them was to use an AI uh, solution, which in their case um, was Raven, R-A-V-N, which has since been acquired by iManage. I think that was a year or two ago. Yeah. Um, to to review all of the documents for them and um it, it it's an interesting idea this idea of using an ai solution to review documents and 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 where do you even begin and i think a lot of people out there might be under the impression that you go to raven now and by um i manage and say can we have this tech solution to review all of these documents and give us the give us the answer and i don't think it would work like that would it no, I mean, I, we've in ourselves not used the Raven software, but with any of these AI solutions, a lot of the uh, the time and the issues with them are that uh, they take time to train them. Mm. Um, you're normally not expected to just buy something off the shelf and it does meets all your needs instantly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something to be aware of when you know, looking to purchase these solutions and looking to use them in-house is that they're going to take some time to train. Um, you know, that's not a downside to them. Um, these these pieces of software are hugely powerful in what they can do, but there is a, that initial upfront task yeah. uh, of teaching the, the information. Um, you know, a lot of the platforms that are available, um, people have used the, the Watson platform, IBM's Watson yeah. platform and stuff. Um, those things are fantastic um, for these kind of natural language interpretation of documents and all that kind of stuff, but they take time to train uh, and they also can take time to train on different items yeah. um, so if you're training an ai to look for you know fraudulent information and and those kind of terms and that kind of information um, if you then want to get it to look at some other documents analysis and pride analysis on something else yeah. You may have to retrain it. You may have yeah. to give it another load of documents and go through that. So it's just that being aware that these things, although you can buy them, they're probably not going to take work off yeah. the shelf. You're going to have to put the effort in to get them working for you. Yeah. Um, so you're still going to be an early adopter of these things and not certainly by any means a finished product. At least we don't believe that to be the case. And yeah. I guess from what you said, it's, it's, it's as much about asking the right questions and phrasing things in the right way to get the right answer out and and that is in itself quite a hard challenge because you never know what you're looking for in a case like that maybe they're looking for something very specific and and their whole case is built on one thing i yeah. don't know but if you, if you're using um artificial intelligence solutions for due diligence exercise for example 
where again you don't know what you're looking for you just want to see that everything is okay and you have a definition of what okay is for you that's extremely hard to to ask the question especially across a whole sphere of things like employment contracts and whether people are on appropriate terms whether the properties contain onerous lease terms or anything like that you know all whether the the corporate the corporation is properly incorporated whether they've done anything wrong in their articles and constitution all sorts of weird things like that whether they've entered into any contracts which they're in breach of there's a whole host of questions that could be asked and tax questions i mean yeah the, the list is endless almost and it's it's it, so it's not saying review this and tell me everything satisfies these criteria it would actually get mean asking very specific questions and 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 working with the ai solution to sort of interpret the information yourself yeah and you can, yeah and you can get a a um you know some insight into this if uh, if you want to go back and look at our previous mm. episode last week where we took a faq document and we turned that into a chatbot using yeah. microsoft cognitive ai services um you'll notice on there that uh, when you're building your knowledge base of questions and answers um you have the ability to provide alternative phrasing for the yeah, questions yeah. and things like that because you may find that although there's a lot of built in where it will uh, correctly interpret different ways of asking the question mm. to deliver the same answer sometimes it will get that wrong yeah and when it does get that wrong you can train it by providing that alternative phrase and say when someone asks this this is the answer right expect yeah. uh, and most of these ai solutions work in the same way yeah. in that you you say we're looking for this information and this is the type of phrasing the type of terminology that we're expecting yeah uh, and it will do lots of magic around the edges of there yeah. to find stuff that you didn't specifically tell it to look for um, but at the end of the day you are having to give it that initial hint and that yeah. initial bit of information to get it going um yeah. And I imagine that's what they did in these instances. They're looking for a very specific, uh, or, or they're looking for specific things in those documents. Um, so they will be training it to do that yeah. uh, for their next project. Uh, and they mentioned in here that they had additional uh, projects coming up where they had upwards of 100 million documents and, yeah. and things like that. If they're looking for different things, they may have to retrain the software to look for more yes. detailed things. Um, so it's 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 being aware that that's something you have to do when you take these products. Yeah, you've almost got to be prepared to shape the funnel yourself, haven't you? If the if the if the system is is going through and identifying things, you have to be willing to put the the sides to the funnel up and focus the information down to the uh, down to the spout, if you like. And yeah. and and the, the more information you're looking at, the bigger the funnel is to get through. So um, it's a very much an interactive process, I think. Yeah, and, and once you've done that training and stuff, once it's up to speed, um, these things should whiz through these numbers of yeah. documents and do that thing the the end result and the end time savings will be huge on using these kind of solutions but you do have to put some legwork in first they, they're yeah. not going to just work out of the box no i mean so in terms of considerations if you're looking at the ai platforms it isn't necessarily a guarantee i suppose that older ones are going to be better i'm not so i wouldn't suggest that for a minute but it, it may be that they've been through more iterations of these sorts of things they may be more capable they've been around longer they've been trained longer that might be a factor to look at when yeah, considering. and their understanding of how they train them is much better so that those yeah. things can be done a lot quicker yeah so we look at the second half of the article then so yeah um not to go into too much detail about these but they're, they're the article put together a list of uh, the top 10 legal tech companies with the greatest impact 
on practice and the business of law. It doesn't say how that was assessed as such, but we'll read through their list because it's, it, it's an interesting looking list anyway. Uh, so number one, relativity founded in 2001. Uh, the core business is providing technology to support litigation, investigations, freedom of information requests. Its technology is now also used by lawyers to store, index and search documents of all types and to automate contract review, due diligence and regulatory work. Uh, built on an open platform, it allows users to create new applications for a variety of uses. Freedom of information requests could be quite a significant one. I know that um, they take a long time to look yeah. into for people, especially when they're trawling through all kinds of things. And it's very easy to raise a freedom of information request. So that looks useful. Yeah. Number two, Aptus, that's A-P-T-T-U-S, founded in 2006, manages the sales life cycle from start to finish or quote to cash, as they say. Uh, number three, Everlaw, founded in 2011, uh, used by firms and companies the, and the U.S. State Attorney General offices to manage litigation and e-discovery. Um, number four, HiQ. We've, we've heard of them before. Founded in 2001. Uh, their software can be used to configure for uses ranging from file sharing and client extranets to com- complex workflow management and automating legal processes. Um, iManage, who we mentioned, they're at number five. Founded in 1998. They were the ones that bought Raven. Uh, document and email management that was recently augmented with Raven's artificial intelligence and how do you pronounce that? Allegrity's risk Actually, and compliance yeah. technology. Um, maybe I'll just whiz through the rest of them fairly quickly. Six Intap, founded in two thousand. They do a lot of things, including uh, time recording and automating financial processes. Kira Systems, founded in two thousand and ten, quite a new one by yeah. by, by standard. AI solution technology to automate contract reviews and analysis. So, you know, compare them to iManage's Raven solution and others. Uh, number eight, Mitratech, uh, Mitratech, founded in 1987. So Gosh. Not, not quite as uh, <laughs> new old. on the market. That's probably <laughs> older than some of our viewers. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, software to manage legal processes, operations, policies, and data. Uh, number nine, Neota Logic, founded in 2010. Another new one. Expert system technology that can uh, be configured by the law firm, financial services, and increasingly company clients to automate legal services. That doesn't really tell you too much about it, so maybe you want to look at it in more detail. And then number 10, last but not least, um, Thomson Reuters. Now, that's, I don't, it doesn't say when they were founded, but they've been around for a long time. Um, and it talks specifically about the Contract Express tool, which it says is easily configured to automate drafting contracts or other documents. Um, I'm not sure how easy it is um, to to do that, but that's just one of many packages that Thomson Reuters has. They obviously and 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 someone like Intap and I manage by the looks of their acquisition history are going to have several things to look at. So, yeah. although it's a list of ten and it talks about solutions, it's really a list of ten companies doing interesting things, and some of them will overlap. Most of them will overlap in some way. Yeah, and so. I, and that's why we want to, one of the reasons we want to put this article in there mm-hmm. is is to give you some of the names of the people who are yeah. doing these kind of things um, to give you a place to start and to look if you're looking to you know get some of these solutions in house and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Have a look at these lists. Have a look and Absolutely. see what they're doing. And as you know, Neil said, Thomson Reuters. It mentions Contract Express as you know the biggie package, but. They do a huge amount of yeah. work. Um, Thomson Reuters, they've got a huge amount of packages that you can now use and they're all integrated together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there may be multiple things that you can look at and begin using. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I think when you, you just hit the nail on the head there when you talked about integration of the packages. I mean, that's one something that we've mentioned a couple of times before when there's confusion as to what might suit you best. I think probably the biggest question for me is, well, for which 
you know, which platform will give you or which, which, which company will give you most bang for your buck. And really, if you're wasting time sw- switching between different solutions, that's not ideal. And so the more integrated these solutions are, obviously the better. Um, and that's a big question. I think that would be, for me, you know, cost is always an issue, but we've also talked before about spending money where it's, where it's appropriate to do so. And, and, and for me, the integration point is almost as important if not more important than the cost yeah and and from my experience in the in the software that i've worked with previously um and the organizations that i've worked with previously integration is a huge thing everyone's got multiple systems everyone needs them talking to each other yeah Uh, and it's something that you should really look into when you're buying these solutions Uh, and also pay close attention to the organizations that supply multiple pieces of software when they talk about the integration between their own pieces of software. Um, Because what you quite often find is um, a lot of these organizations, they build up their product portfolio by buying other Mm -hmm. companies and absorbing their products. Mm. Um, And what you'll often find is they will give the impression that all of their solutions are fully integrated when in fact there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors around the outside as to how some of them fit together. Yeah. Um, so when you actually look at these kind of things, you know, do your proper due diligence on how they actually integrate and how easy those integrations yeah. are, um, even when you're buying multiple products from the same provider um, and, you know, really yeah. ask the difficult questions around that. And it would be very easy, wouldn't it, for them to say, we've got all these different solutions to do all these different things, and yes, they're integrated, and here's a very cheap price for you. And if you're not really fully sure on how the integrations work and, and how well the systems work together, you could quickly find yourself spending a lot more on sort of professional services and stuff to, to, to and, get people yeah. to set up those integrations. So. And, and it may be, you know, the cheapest is not necessarily the best in that sense. And, um, you know, yeah, so just be careful on that. I yeah, just do your due diligence mm-hmm. on them and, you know, ask, ask the difficult questions of these providers. And Absolutely, stuff. yeah. Okay, so should we move on to item number three? Did you want to take us through that one? Yeah, so this is our final item on the on the list. This was a... Um, item on law technology today by lucy taylor and this is seven signs your law firm's technology is outdated um i'm guessing that a a few of these i'm hoping aren't actually that relevant these days you Um, don't be surprised but um (laughs) you know i haven't walked around some law offices recently um but just her list of seven to start with is um Number one, your monitors are heavy, which would imply you've got some old CRT monitors in there. And if you do still have those, then you probably are a little behind the times. Just a flashing green icon. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> you, you, you may want to look at some new solutions yeah. if you're using something like that. Yeah. Um, number two, you still have tons of filing cabinets. I imagine that's a given in most organizations. Yeah. Um, number three, you aren't automating anything. Uh, number four, it takes a long time to help clients, uh, whether that's on purpose or not. I know you guys charge by the hour, so uh, sometimes it, you know you might you want to delay slander my slander the profession. Yeah, I shouldn't do that really. <laughs> um, number five, you frequently deal with tech support problems. I think that's going to be an issue, even if you are using the latest tech. Yes. Uh, number six, your warranties or support arrangements are out of date. Uh, and number seven, your employees would rather use their own devices. Um, and these, there's a couple on there. Uh, one of the key ones I'd like to pick out is is the ability for your employees to use their own devices. You know, that is something that is a lot more organizations are being open to now. Yeah. Um, 
because quite often you find that you know people have phones and laptops and stuff which mm. are better than they might get through their organization mm. um and i won't say it's completely gone but in theory gone are the days when you can't take someone's own device like their own phone and use it for work purposes yeah. um there's a huge amount of software solutions now provided by people like Microsoft and Citrix and all these organizations that allow you to provision someone's own device for use in a corporate mm. uh, organization. Uh, and I'm aware of other people who, um, especially on Android phones and stuff, who who are able to use them in a work mode and in a personal mode. Yeah. So you're not mixing the two. And when it's in work mode, it's protected by all of the works vpns and all the other kind of access uh, and then it drops out of that when you use it in a personal mode yeah. um in most organizations things like it are being outsourced so previously these kind of things were a real headache for your in-house it department now with big organizations even people like microsoft offering managed de- desktop mm-hmm. solutions which we talked about uh, in a in I think episode eight, eight with yeah, um, yeah. Um, was it Slater? Slater and Gordon. Slater and yeah. Gordon. They were using the new Microsoft managed desktop mm. solution. You know, they have ways of provisioning machines uh, and ensuring that security on the machines is kept up to date, mm. even if it's not supplied by the the work organization. Yeah, um, I like the idea of having half the number of phones because you know, if, if you're using your own stuff, then you're carrying around your own phone and work phone, and I'd expect many people will carry around laptops with them necessarily in the, not their own personal one anyway um so but half the radiation from half the number of phones um it's health benefit maybe and not some too much strain on your jacket pockets but what i don't like about it and maybe this is me being um paranoid is i don't like the idea of uh, a, a firm's equipment being on on my stuff and and not necessarily having control over what that means and maybe i've watched the firm with tom cruise too many times and and i'm i'm reading bad things into it but you know you know what happens when you put a uh, something onto your phone it gives you the the license agreement which you you can read if you want to but you can't change it right so you just click accept because there's no other way of doing it um and I don't. I'm, I'm less comfortable with that personally. I, I can imagine so, and I, and I think a lot of people will be in that. Um, you know, the fear of letting work take over your own personal mm-hmm. device, uh, and then monitoring what you're doing on that mm. out of work hours will be a major concern to, yeah. to people. Um, but it's pointing out that you know this is this technology is coming, and yeah. that you are able to do this this kind of thing, and you know it, it could potentially look down as a cost saving for firms if they don't Definitely. have to supply people with a phone then you well, know, that's, that's a saving for you and also i think most employers now of any reasonable size get like group on type discounts you know whatever they're called nowadays don't they where they can get you know bulk discounted for their bulk um, purchase discounts for their staff and so you can probably get yourself a cheap iphone deal or you know yeah. android or something through through works discounts and and i think as well that this shouldn't necessarily always refer to you using your own personal device Mm. it's potentially also offering the member of staff the opportunity to purchase the device that they want to use for work yeah so rather than you as a uh, organization buying a hundred laptops from dell or or another provider um, instead you can offer your employees a range of laptops Mm. 
and ask them, you know, choose the one that best suits your needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you may want a smaller, lightweight laptop if you're a salesperson on the road. Um, if you're a developer in-house, you may want something with a bit more power mm. um, and something that's heavier. You don't care about that portability. So it's the opportunity for you as an organization to say, rather than us saying, here's your laptop, yeah. instead you're saying, choose the one out of this range and yeah. it will just be easily provisioned for you when it arrives. I think that's a, one of the big points of this. It's not necessarily always just users using their own devices it's also giving people the flexibility to choose what they want yeah no that's true i i want to i want to talk about the monitors one the monitor you want want to go back to the monitors because yeah i don't think there would be anybody with a with a sort of six inch deep monitor on their desk i really hope not anyway but i don't think most modern pcs can drive a uh, old crt monitor anymore so uh, maybe they're still using the old pcs well yeah that that wouldn't surprise me in some places windows 97 on them or something but but Actually, on a serious note, monitors, I mean, you've got a very swanky new monitor for your, for your desk upstairs, haven't you? And um, I was talking to a friend of ours who's re-kitted his, his work office with not two monitors, but monitors which are, I don't know, three or four feet wide. So, and they're really, you know, they're really fantastic. You can have mm-hmm. lots of things on the screen at once. And, you know, I remember thinking when I had a, a normal but thin monitor and just one of them thinking when the firm upgraded to to two monitors thinking well, i just don't need two monitors i get on fine but naturally when you get two you think well how did i ever live with one yeah um so i don't know whether they'll put three on my desk and then i'll say how did i ever live with two but it is very useful and it's not difficult to do it it's not that expensive to do it um and actually it might remove some of those filing cabinets that she mentions at point number two if you can see more than one thing on your screen at once because i think if you deep dive a bit deeper into her article um she mentions somewhere about Sometimes it's it's as easy to go into a filing cabinet and find what you're looking for as it is to go into the system. Well, that's yeah. certainly true maybe on a live file when you're in the office and you know. But obviously, if yeah. you're working remotely, that's not true. And if you're looking for an archived file that's been in, you know off-site somewhere, then you really ought to be able to find the information more quickly. Yeah. But, but the, neither of those are particularly revolutionary ideas, but no. yet... They're simple and quick and easy fixes to do. So if you've got one monitor, maybe consider using two or a wider or whatever. Give yourself the best chance with, with, with decent hardware. I think I think it goes back to something we mentioned a couple of episodes ago as well. Is is it's it's not necessarily looking to skimp on yeah. the IT hardware that you buy your staff. Yes, there is it's an easy way to save costs mm. and stuff to um to buy the cheaper software the cheaper hardware and things like that but actually your staff i would suggest in almost every organization now probably spend 90 to 100 percent of the day at their computer doing stuff yeah um and if they're wasting time from their machine slow they can't open many documents because they've got small monitors so they're having to print stuff out so they can read it in one hand and type on on the other you know by investing in this IT infrastructure, in this hardware and software, and giving your people the best you can, mm. their productivity will increase, yep. um, and it can be a huge benefit. Um, yeah, to no, people. I, so it's yeah, it's something you know. If you have any of these issues, if this stuff is your technology is creaking now, look at improving. Look at getting the best you can for your people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Okay, shall we move on to events? Yep. Um, 
first first of all, I will mention, we'll mention what they are in a, in a minute, but one thing just to say at the beginning is if there's anybody out there that wants to advertise their event for our 10 viewers, I think, we, maybe nine viewers that we've got. Nine however, viewers also, yeah. We get a lot more hits on, on some pages than others, but if there's anybody out there who wants to advertise an event through us, then tell us about it and we, we, will, we will raise it for you. Yeah, we'll just put um, it in yeah, um, there are groups that you can go to, meetups, that sort of thing. But um, just to mention the two that we've got uh, for you this week, the la- one we've mentioned a couple of weeks ago is the SRA Innovate. That's on Wednesday this week, uh, the 5th of June, and we mentioned that, that was in Leeds. I won't repeat what they're talking about because it'll be in the notes, and we mentioned it in week eight, but they have now confirmed their venue for Birmingham if you can't make... Um, Wednesday the 5th of June. It's in Birmingham on Thursday the 4th of July at the, at the studio 7 Cannon Street in Birmingham. So um, the SRA will be talking about a lot of tech stuff and you can go along and catch up with them. Um, and then item number two, the Artificial Intelligence in the Legal Services Summit. That's Tuesday the 4th of June. It's a whole day, 8.30am uh, till 6pm. That's 1 America Square, 17 Crossrail in London. A couple of interesting keynote speakers. David Gork, MP, Lord Chancellor and Secretary of State for Justice, and Christina Blacklaws, the President of the Law Society and Chair of Technology and Law Commission Society. They'll be talking about um, the potential for AI, algorithms in the justice system, and the state of play in ethics and, and future outlook. Uh, wider societal impacts of AI and its future. Don't know what that will be focusing on specifically, but future skills and job requirements. Now, that could be interesting because I think everybody's yeah. worried that AI is going to make them redundant. Well, you could go along there and figure out whether that's true or what you might yeah. do if it is going to make you redundant. Yeah. But not just law, but in accountancy and banking as well, who may be some of your clients. Um, and the future of legal practice and the firm of the future, organizational business model implications for firms. So um, that is Tuesday, the 4th of June, One America Square in London. Those two events for you. Great, yeah. So yeah, so so as as Neil said, you know, if you've got any if you've got any events that you want us to mention um, to people, or alternatively, you know, you want to give us some feedback on the things we've been talking about, mm-hmm. um, drop us a line at um, probably our email address at panashcast at panashsoftware dot com is is great for um, yeah any, anything you want us to mm-hmm. talk about or or you know just give us some input onto what your thoughts are on on some of the items we've discussed and if they differ from what we're saying then you know we'd we'd love to hear that yeah Um, we had one didn't we from oliver who uh said he listens to his podcasts on acast and soundcloud now i haven't heard i'd never heard of either of those personally although having looked at them then um i think we can get onto at least one of them but um we have a look into that but great we mentioned that before if if you listen to something in one particular or your preference is to listen to it in one particular place and we're not on there let us know and we'll do our best to add it for you. Yeah, just to give it as wide an audience mm. as possible, really. Yeah, um, exactly. So I think yeah. that's it for this week, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, there. yeah. Yeah, so as I said, go back and check out last week's episode if you want to. Um, mm. It was a bit of a different episode for us where we actually went through a full example of turning an FAQ document that you may have on your website uh, into a fully functional chatbot without having to use any of code uh, and that was using Microsoft's cognitive services um, and we want to expand on that in future weeks yeah. as well and do some other uh, episodes on those kind of tools mm-hmm. that you can use to at least have a look at what can be done yeah. with these solutions you may not necessarily go live with anything you're producing 
on there, but it may give you some info as to how they work so that when you are looking at these other firms who are offering AI solutions and document automation solutions, it might give you an insight into how those actually work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go and have a look at those and we're, we're, we're planning to do a few more in, in yeah. future episodes. For me, yeah. I, I really, really like the, the, I like the chatbot itself. I think it's a nice, neat little quirky feature for work websites. As I think we mentioned last time, um, there are relatively few firms that have that sort of feature on their website. And we did a pricing example in the context of the SRA rules on pricing. Yep. Um, it was a straightforward example, but it looks nice. and It was easily and quickly done. Um, what I like, though, is the promise of what that sort of thing can bring. And, and hopefully yeah, we'll talk about that and how it will integrate with, with other, other features and functions yep. that will really you know allow you to start automating lots of stuff as pete just mentioned so yeah. um it's the promise of that episode which i think gives me the most uh most yeah. satisfaction yeah so go and have a look and um yeah if you've got any ideas for things that you'd like us to uh, yeah. have a look at then um yeah we can we can put something together and um share out the knowledge a bit because i think a lot of this exactly. stuff is assumed to be difficult or people just don't understand how it works and we'd like to get that knowledge out there and show you actually you can start looking at this stuff. You can do it yourself and, yeah. uh, and understand how it all works. Yeah. yeah. Any queries, then get in touch with us and yeah. we'll be happy to talk it through. Let us know. Yeah. But yeah, until okay. next week, um, we'll call it a day. Yep. Okay. See you then. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Bye.